Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. Today, you're talking with me. Another solo edition of the Peristyle Podcast. No special guest in the solo edition. This one is just me. You sent me a lot of questions. A lot of questions this week just for the solo podcast. So I'm going to try to get to all of them. If you have any questions for any of the, the members of the podcast team, you can email us. Podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you give us a call at 641 641- 715-3900, extension 816-646. Leave a voicemail there, or you can click on the left side of the page of our website, peristylepodcast.com. Remember, voicemails, try to keep them under a minute. Emails, try to keep them concise. If you're going on for paragraphs, I just can't read them all. So please keep them tight, and we would love to share with everyone else on the listens to the podcast on the air. Speaking of sharing the podcast, go to itunes.com slash podcast. You can subscribe. You can rate us. You can give us a review. We would appreciate all of those. And tell your friends about it. If you're a USC fan, you want to know about USC football, have them listen to the Peristyle podcast. We appreciate it very much. Uh, I just want to let you know, we've actually been doing a live one on Wednesday nights. We've done two of them now. We call that one Peristyle Live. It's me and Tony D. And uh, the the podcasts are up as well. You can check them out on uscfootball.com. They're not on iTunes yet, so I'm working on that. Um, but you can go to our Audio Boom channel for the Peristyle podcast, or you can go to um, check them out on uscfootball.com. But we're starting to do a live one Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. So they're kind of fun to just go on and, uh, you know, we, you know, it's live. So we have a chat room and it's, you can actually listen to us live. And if you put something in the chat room, we can talk about it right away. So just something else we we're trying on the Peristyle podcast with uscfootball.com. And hopefully you guys enjoy that. So let's, uh, we're going to jump in. I mean, we've got so many darn questions from you guys and a lot of good ones. And so we'll see if my voice holds up. I don't know how many podcasts this is for me this week, but a lot, a lot of radio. It's been a really busy week. We did an extra war room on Tuesday. We're going to do another one Friday morning. So lots and lots going on with USC football. But, uh, yeah, they're trying to, trying to catch up now. I think I'm, I'm getting there, but there were so many questions that kind of in our inbox for this podcast. I wanted to get through all of them. Do one last podcast for the week. So let's start off with Robert Robin, excuse me, in Virginia. He says, well, that sucked. USC was not prepared. So he's talking, so this is, we're going all the way back, which seems like a month ago, going all the way back to the Pac-12 championship game for some of this stuff. Some of it's not. He says, USC was not prepared, disciplined, or motivated for most of the game. Just wondering if winning the Pac-12 title, going to the Rose Bowl for the first time in seven years and coaches keeping their job aren't motivation enough, then what is? Uh, this, is their whole season. Why sleepwalking through the first half and then burning out at the end of the, at the end, a weekly thing? Why doesn't the defense adjust? Why doesn't Kessler throw deep balls? How does USC actually get worse? Uh, did they just forget everything that gave them success last week? Allowing McCaffrey to score at the very end shows the USC defense had given up. I could go on, but I'm, uh, but I'm everyone, everyone else is wondering the same thing I am. He's, I said, I think he meant, I bet everyone else is wondering the same thing I am. Thanks for all you do, Robin in Virginia. Okay, you know, all good points. Um, since you wrote that, the four of the members of the coaching staff are fired. And actually, when you think about it, there's 10 full-time 
college football programs have 10 full-time coaches, nine assistants and a head coach. Well, five of those 10 are gone, and none of them have been replaced by anyone besides people already on the staff, like as a graduate assistant or administrative assistant or a strength coach. Um, so that's about half, you know, it's really half. Half of the, the coaches USC started the season with are gone. And I think a lot of the reasons for everything you said in that email are true. And I, I do feel that they didn't play up to their potential on defense. I feel that they, they played well against UCLA. They came up by playing man to man and being aggressive. They came up with reasons why they couldn't do that against Stanford. When I talked to some of the players after the game, well, they run this and you can't do it. So it's very adjusting to what a team does instead of, Hey, this is what USC does best. Play that. So they were trying to adjust to what Stanford did as opposed to knowing what your team does best, and you saw it um, against UCLA, and not playing that. So I think that's really the biggest falling out with uh, most of the defensive staff and Clay Helton and the fan base and all that is just they didn't didn't play how the USC players would play best. So I think that's really the the main point there, Robin. But yeah, all good points and all good you know why you know USC's been down at the end of the first quarter in eight straight games. Slow starts every single time. Uh, yeah, those are that's not really what you're looking for. And we don't know what's going to happen with Wisconsin because you got, like I said, half of the coaches are gone. Um, preparation's not going to be easy uh, because of all those coaches being gone. It's it's certainly going to be a challenge, and you're playing a really good team. So that's uh, not going to be easy. Let's go to Chandler in H-Town. Do you feel USC's strength and conditioning program needs an overhaul? It appears our skill players have great strength and endurance, but that our quote-unquote bigs do not. The offensive and defensive lines look fat and out of shape compared to other Power 5 programs. Thanks for all you do. Fight on Chandler and H-Town. You know, every kind of strength coach, you, you meet different ones. They kind of have different philosophies about, you know, doing a lot of bench press, doing a lot of motion, moving, and things like that. It, you know, I'm not some expert that I can look at those guys and go, oh, yeah, he was working that out. And I'm not even going to pretend, um, you know, people seem to like Ivan Lewis and, and, and what he does. And it looks like Clay Helton's going to retain him. It hasn't been, you know, at least they haven't said that he's not going to be back. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know uh, what's going to happen there. And I'm not someone that's really good at judging. Um, but, you know, there's some really tough guys on the team. And you could probably attribute some of that to at least a strength program. Uh, as far as like weight and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some offensive linemen that could use, you know, definitely stand to lose some weight. Dan Weber talked about the little bit, but, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. I don't, I wouldn't say they need an overhaul, but I, I, again, I'm not a big, uh, expert on, you know, what they're all doing. We don't really get to see, uh, what they do where before we could kind of go into the weight room a little bit and, um, you know, check things out. Chris Carlisle invited me down there a bunch of times to kind of, show things around. Ivan Lewis is a little more, you know, I will try. We could try to get in there with them, but I've tried to interview him before. And he's like, well, let's do it tomorrow. He's just, he's not a big talker. And uh, really you want to get information from him about what the philosophy is and all of that. All right, let's go to Bear Secutor. He says, Ryan, uh, when you see Davis and Jackson collide, he's talking about Justin Davis and Dory Jackson collide in a kick reception inside our 10 yard line and four guys trying to block a single Stanford rusher, 12 games into the season. Don't we know our issues go beyond the coaches and we need a higher IQ overall among the players we recruit? Um, no, I mean, I, I think for me, college football is a lot about coaching. The, is The majority of it's about coaching. And I think you need players and coaches bring in those guys. And I think the people that are on the roster right now 
are are very talented football players. And what is talent and all of that kind of stuff? You can talk about like potential and everything. But there's guys with a lot of potential. You know Justin Davis and Adore Jackson are doing great. Well, I mean, how often do you practice that? Is it completely the player's fault that they tried to catch the same football? Did Adore not say, mine, 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 or yours, yours, yours? Did Justin not hear him? Did he just think, you know, I don't know. I mean, we don't know what's going on there. But there have been so many gaffes on the special team side of it. It leads me to believe that they weren't prepared very well. Um, that's just kind of my gut feeling. So, yeah, I mean, I think you, you can blame some of the stuff on players and some individual plays, but there's just been this pattern that what I would say is if you had a different coach that was running things and teaching something different and practicing a different way, would those same players still screw up or would they get it and they it, would it work? And seeing what they did against UCLA when they got more aggressive on defense and everything, I mean, that tells me the potential's there. You have to coach in a way that you bring out the best in the players. I'm not convinced that the players are crap. And I think some people like to say that, and they're not. You know, there's a really, there's a bunch of guys that are going to the NFL. That's not the end all be all, but there's definitely guys that are going to go there, you know? So to me, I put a lot of that uh, on the coaching, Bearsecutor. Hopefully that answers your question. Let's go, Curtis in Marino Valley. I used to play DB in junior college, and I coached DBs later on. All right, Curtis, thanks. That's cool. Uh, as I watched the UCLA game on TV late in the fourth quarter, the ABC announcer said, I've never seen a college team get away with uh, man coverage for a whole game like this. If you notice that game, every catch was challenged, many drop passes, passes defended, and two picks. That means five to six man rush and man coverage, including Cra- uh, Cravens to cover the McCaffrey types. More importantly, the man coverage technique was almost perfect. Unfortunately, they fired that DB coach. Uh, this this type of defense fits our talent. Please tell Coach Helton. And I want a reaction from all three of you on this. Sorry, guys. You can't do that. This is a very simple concept. Stay on your man the whole game and let the front six go after it. Fight on Curtis Marino Valley. Yeah, so we, we don't, we're not all on the show at the same time, so your question has to be very specific. So I took this one. Um, since we had a lot of questions in the other one. So sorry. Yeah. We can't get everyone's comments because those are different days, but yeah, I mean, so Keith Hayward's the DB coach you're talking about that they got rid of. Um, you know, it's hard to say, you know, it wasn't his philosophy that you're doing things, but when they had to play man, I thought they played pretty well. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think as far as, you know, coach Elton, he wants some more aggressive defense. That's what he talked about. So we'll see who he brings in as defensive coordinator. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's simple. I think you want to do what your players do best, and these guys are going to be better at being more aggressive and playing man-to-man. And I think you can get away with it. If you watch, you know, you can mix in other things too, but you know, predominantly it looked like this team was just adjusting to whatever the other team did, and it's a powerful you know, enough team where for USC, just say, hey, this is what we do. If you're USC, that's what you say. Not, well, what is... Uh, Arkansas State do. Let's adjust our defense to that. No, you do what you do. Let them adjust. And I think that was the big problem. This team changed. It's like defense every week, it seemed like. And uh, that that didn't work out so well. All right. Uh, Peter in Fullerton. Why do you think Clay Helton decided to change the offensive philosophy to a power run game since that's not the style he ran in previous positions? Do you think it was his decision or was he coached, quote-unquote coached, to make the change as that was his best chance to win the coaching job? Oh, interesting. 
seems very suspicious that the uh, renewed focus on the running game was one of the reasons you cited for that ex-players and boosters pushed for his hiring. Once again, thanks for the great job, Peter and Fullerton. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it, That really wasn't his background from kind of what we looked up. And the problem is, though, for the last six years, he's been running somebody else's system. So what really is his background? Is it he kind of saw for six years the personnel that USC had, what they were trying to run, two different head coaches, um, and feeling like, wow, this isn't what's best for these guys. And then when it was his turn, he's like, I'm switching the focus to more of a power run. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. We don't really know what what was the catalyst for making that change uh, for him. But I think if if it was in his ear where there was boosters or whatever, there was like, hey, if you, you know, we'll support you with the power run game, then, yeah, that's another reason he would want to do it. I don't know if that would have got back to him. He would, anyway, he would have known, hey, if I switch to some sort of power run game, this is going to work out really good. Um, and I'll get the job. I don't know if he would know something like that, but I kind of tend to think that, you know, he got to watch for six years. It was, was, became his show. Couldn't make any huge changes, but he could change the philosophy a little bit. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's like people love it, but the offense hasn't been all that good, you know, since he took over either. It's, it's a slower starting offense. With Sarkeesian, it would kind of come out fast. You score on big plays. Uh, this team kind of comes out slow, doesn't really have the big plays but they run the ball more and there's more dedication to it. So I don't know. It's not, it's not like the offense has been lighting up, you know, lighting it on fire either. So I think that's going to be something to watch for in the bowl game. Okay. Let's go to Rob in Manhattan beach, just up the street from me. Love the show. Thank you. Wanted to weigh in on potential coordinators. I was down on the hire of Helton, but have been optimistic uh, that we could bring in some top talent in our defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator hires. I'm sure we'll do a thorough search on the D.C. front, but I'm beginning to worry that we'll simply promote from within for the offensive coordinator. Do you see promoting T. Martin or Tuiasa Sopo to offensive coordinator? I'd like to see us reach out to Pep Hamilton or Greg Roman for offensive coordinator as they approve they can operate in the ground and pound system that Helton is pushing for. Thanks for all the work you put in. Uh, make my favorite podcast out there. Your fellow Beach City's neighbor, Rob Manhattan Beach. Yeah, we just don't know, Rob. I think that's an option. I think either T. Martin or Tuiasa Sopo could be a co-offensive coordinator. Um, not sure if they would be promoted to be full-on offensive coordinator. I mean, who knows? We'll see. But it could be a combination of, and Gerard talked about this in our podcast yesterday, um, having a, a like a big-time offensive line coach that's also like co-offensive coordinator. Maybe he's the run game coordinator and the you know T. Martin or Tuiasa Sopo is passing game coordinator, and they kind of run things together, and one of them calls the plays. So I think there's a lot of options there for de- for defensive coordinator. I think they have to get a big name. I think he knows that. I don't. If they screw that up, I mean, I, I think people are just going to walk away and just be like, "I'm done." So they have to at least try to bring in a big name uh, for the defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. That's more of a. It'll be interesting because he's not going to call the plays, but I'm sure he has his ideas of what he wants the defense to be. All right, we got. Uh, let's see. Gene from Orange County. Hey, Ryan. I'm a 60-year-old Trojan fan. I've never experienced the debacle of the last five years. I believe this can all be blamed on Pat Hayden. Clay Helton may turn out to be a good coach, but being one of the top five schools in the nation, we deserve the best. Right now, we are in the wait-and-see mode. Uh, Had we picked Chip Kelly or Kyle Whittingham or Stoops from Oklahoma, we would have an instant winning team. Ohio State or Alabama would have never picked an unknown coach 
to lead them. I believe the reason he picked Helton before the Stanford game was his inability to do a pro to do the proper research or his ability to pick the proper coach. This was an easy pick for him. He knew there was a good chance we would have lost to Stanford and no one would want to have Helton hired. Hayden must go. Thanks again for the podcast. Uh, any one of you could reply to this. Thanks, and hopefully we'll return to Trojan football. Um, yeah, I mean, you're not alone, uh, Gene, for sure. There are a lot of people feel that way. I felt it like kind of like a lazy hire or a uninspired process. Not the, not the Clay Helton person, but the, the hire of him, but just the way it kind of went about it. And we've heard a lot of stuff from behind the scenes and we put stuff in the war room and we've heard a lot of stuff kind of all over the place, but it didn't seem to me that they went full bore trying to get anyone that was a big name outside. There was talks, there was, you could say attempts, but nothing like, He's our guy. Let's go get him. It always just felt like Helton is the guy. They want Clay Helton. That's, they know him. They don't want to, you know, if you say you want to change the culture, it's hard to hire within, from within. And that's what they did. And they want to change the culture, but you hire someone that's been there for six years. I don't know if that's changing the culture. He'll change some things. He has changed some things, but that's not a full culture change. I, I got to get the feeling that they were afraid of a full culture change. They were afraid of going out and getting someone like Chip Kelly who just, you know, changes everything and just, screws everything up well, and quote unquote screws everything up internally in the administration because he's going to wield a lot of power and be able to make changes and tell people what to do. And, you know, Clay Helton is going to be indebted to Pat Hayden for hiring him. You hire a big name. You're not indebted to the athletic director. You're, you're, you're the one being pursued, you know, Clay Helton wasn't being pursued by other people. Maybe he would go to Memphis or something. I mean, something like lower level like that, but there wasn't any power five teams that were coming after Clay Helton. So you get someone like Chip Kelly or Jim Harbaugh, I mean John Harbaugh, or Bob Stoops. You're being you're pursuing that person, and I don't see I didn't see USC completely pursue any of those big names, um, and so I think that's that's a real issue with the process. So it puts a lot of pressure on Clay Helton. It certainly does. Um, I think he's capable of doing it. We were not going to know a whole lot until we kind of see um, him uh, with his own staff and all of that. Um, we just don't know at this point. Uh, but yeah, I. I got the same kind of process, uh, issues with the process and stuff with you. Let's go Brian in Montreal. Uh, following the Stanford loss, I'm extremely disappointed at the prospect of several more years of watching a USA team that rarely plays up to its potential with the Lane and Sark eras, uh, while the Lane and Sark eras were plagued, um, by a coaching staff that showed an inability to make second half adjustments and overcome deficits. Helton's short tenure demonstrates a flat, unprepared Trojan team that sleepwalks until halftime. Um, whereas we're usually good enough to come back and win against weaker opponents against the like of likes of ND, uh, Oregon, Stanford, we simply fall short. Is this a problem with the game planning or player motivation? Neither speaks well to Helton's ability to adequately prepare the team to play a complete game. I can't believe Hayden has sold the program short with his lazy hire and essentially signed up, uh, the Trojan players and fans for five more years of sustained mediocrity. As always, thanks for the show, which is a godsend after games like these. Best, Brian in Montreal. Love the international questions, Brian. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think you have a lot of good points there. As far as why USC's uh, falling behind early, and like I said earlier, eight straight games where they ended the, the first quarter down. Um, it's interesting. I, You know, I think... There's something to be said for being able to make some adjustments at halftime and coming out playing better, and that's what this team did. And we haven't seen that really 
with Lane or with Sark. It's basically if the, the game didn't go well to start, USC would lose. Now at least USC is capable of winning if the game doesn't go well to start. The problem is the game isn't going well to start at all. And I don't I wouldn't worry about the trend until you would think it's going to continue in the bowl game. I mean, I would guess, I mean, I would bet just about anything that Wisconsin will be leading after one. Um, just from the trend, it's been going for USC. Why would that change? Will it change during the offseason? Will, because you have different coaches and different philosophies and a different way to prepare. And they're going to change so much that I don't know if you need to worry about that. It'll probably happen again in the bowl game because you can't change a ton uh, in that amount of time. But will, if it, it's happening again, then I think you can point at Helton. Like six games into the season, if USC is like down after the first quarter and most of them again, then yeah, there's something going on there. But I think in this case, I mean, you really have to give, give him a shot to kind of put his own stamp on this team. And he hasn't been able to do that yet. He had, we have seen him a lot of games. He's six and three as a head coach of USC, one game from a couple of years ago. Uh, and then the last, you know, eight here, um, this season, seven as an interim and then one as a uh, permanent head coach. And he's got another bowl game and then, of course, Alabama. So you're going to, you'll get to know a little bit more about him, but I, I really don't think you'll get a better feel for probably midway till midway through next season. Let's take a look back at that and see. Uh, Phil in Hawaii. Hello, Phil. We go from Montreal to Hawaii. After watching this game, it was clear that we were obviously outcoached against Stanford. Last week against UCLA, talked about how we lined up athlete to athlete and won. Uh, I just have a few questions. Can we please stop sugarcoating what is really going on here? Okay, I guess if you want to tell me what's really going on here, I'll, I'll stop sugarcoating it. Um, that's great that Helton's a nice guy, but you, uh, but can you take the emotion and really can take take out the emotion, excuse me, and really convince us why he is the right guy. Players love him, blah, blah, blah. He's a great guy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we really got the most out of the players, blah, blah, blah. Something tangible might help to prove uh, empirically why Hayden chose him. Lastly, uh, what do we do from here? Thanks very much. Really love the show, but would uh, appreciate holding the coaches and AD more accountable from you guys. Phil in Hawaii. Well, I, I mean, Phil, I don't know what else I could say. I mean, I pretty much have said Pat Hayden should step down. Um, his hire was lazy. It was un, uninspired. I thought the process was terrible. So, I mean, I, I'm i not sure what else. I, I mean, I don't know. They might, like, lock the doors and not let me get near USC at this point. Uh, I mean, I love a lot of the people that work there and, and the administration and stuff. And I think Pat Hayden is a legend and, you know, one of the nicer guys you'll ever meet and has been always nice to me. Uh, I mean, I remember a time I brought my little brother from the Big Brothers program to a USC game. Pat Hayden and J.K. McKay were there and talking about his shirt. I think he had one of the 75 or greater than 85 shirts, if you remember those I made. And they were talking about it. And I mean, you know, he's a, he's a great, great guy. But I think when it comes to making decisions for the football team, it's just gone wrong at every every aspect. And even with the basketball team, we'll see how that ends up this year. But those that's an issue and i don't know if pat hayden's ever been in a position where he's always beloved and he's never made a decision and people kind of go what um well he did that when he hired sark that he felt that he was going to name some coach and everyone will just love it and usc fans had already suffered through elaine kiffin and you basically hire sark who's like kiffin with a better personality and people were questioning it from the first day it's not like see you know they're asking about it after he 
showed up to salute the droid drunk or, you know, drinking with pills. They were questioning that from day one. And I think that was the first thing where Pat Hayden's like, whoa, you know, I made a decision and people are questioning it. And he's just not, I mean, that just hasn't really happened. To him. I mean, there's, there's so many bad decisions. And you're, now the more McNair stuff comes out, the more and more that that comes out. And, and you basically, you have national writers for, you know, CBS or USA Today basically saying the NCAA got this wrong. All those people that were persecuting USC back in the day, now they're saying the NCAA railroaded USC. They're all saying that now. Not just We used to say that five years ago when we wrote all those stories. Now the national media is saying that too. So what does that mean for Pat Hayden? Well, if everyone else thinks you're being railroaded and you didn't fight like you were getting railroaded, and yeah, he went through certain things, he didn't fight the way he could have fought. He didn't go tooth and nail. It was a, well, this is what we can do, and we did it, and it didn't work, so we'll have to move on. No. That's not what you have to do. You have to go above and beyond. And he certainly did not do that. Um, and I, I questioned that from the very beginning. Dan Weber has a lot of USC fans have a lot of the, uh, excuse me, the, a lot of the, uh, big boosters I've talked to who are like, yeah, I'm cool with Kiffin. I mean, that's okay. I get that. Or, you know, Sark, whatever. That could have been, a, but they're mad about the whole not fighting the NCAA. And I think they have to go through something. Restore Reggie Bush. Why the hell does a guy have a lifetime ban? What did he do? Did he commit a felony? Did he? No, he, his family took money for, you know, from an agent or wannabe agent. That gets you a lifetime ban? You know, Cam Newton got paid like a couple hundred thousand dollars. Auburn won a national championship and they still got it. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so yes, I think he needs to still do that. So I don't know, Phil, about me sugarcoating things. As far as Helton goes, I mean, it's hard to say. I don't think he has the resume. He doesn't have the resume to be the head coach at USC, but guess what? He's the head coach of USC. Now he's in a weird spot. Once he was hired, um, we get it that you, these weren't your guys. These weren't your staff. Um, but like I've said before, it's a unique opportunity that he had that no one else did. So you kind of have to take that opportunity and run with it. He did enough to the administration hired him. Now we'll see during the off season. Um, I, you know, I think you can be a lot more critical of Clay Helton next year and the year after that when we kind of know more about him at this point. We just don't know because it's not going to be his, it's not him. It's, you know, he's basically in someone else's shoes. He's going to have his own shoes on next year. And even though most of the players he didn't recruit, I mean, he's been around for all of them, been in part of the recruiting meeting. So he's familiar with everybody there. It will get, you know, he'll get his chance to put a stamp on, uh, this USC football team. And I think you can be more fair. You can more fairly criticize him and his staff at that point. At this point, he's like kind of the caretaker of Sark's mess. All right, KC, what does our two-minute offense seem to lack? Or why does our two-minute offense seem to lack urgency? Cody constantly checks with the sidelines and failed uh, to consistently push the ball more than 10 yards down the field. Is this coaching or Cody just being unable to run the offense on his own? Thanks in advance, Casey. I mean, it's a really good question. I think it's a combination of things. When we ask Clay Helton, he tells us Cody's doing what he's taught to do. And if we're going to take him at his word, he's saying that if there's guys deep and guys in coverage and your deep route looks covered, you take what they give you and you check it down. The problem is we've seen this happen when you're down two scores to Notre Dame late in the game, when you're down two scores to Stanford late in the game, or you're you're down two scores to Stanford in the end of the first half and you're trying to score some points. You, I think in my, you know, I'm no football guru. In my mind, I'm not calling a play where there's an option 
to dump it off for four yards. Like that should not even be in his, did not even should be an option because you might as well throw the ball out of bounds into the stands than throw it for four yards. When you're down 10 to Stanford, you're down 10 to Notre Dame, and there's four minutes left, and you got to score twice, four-yard passes do not help you. So eliminate those altogether. I don't care if there's, you know, triple coverage deep. And there, there wasn't. It was just basically one-on-one. I saw, you know, in the Stanford game, the most recent one, the Pac-12 championship game, he it was like third and nine or something. He ju- dumped it off to Juju for like six, I think. But they had Jalen Green streaking down the middle, turning right towards the corner, on, I believe a corner route, one-on-one coverage. And why did you throw it to Juju short? Like, you you have one-on-one coverage on a deep guy. That's your best option. You need to score. Um, so I think there's a combination of things. Helton is saying that Cody is doing everything he's taught. I, I mean, I question why you would even have that option. And I question his decision-making there, too, because he has that option to dump it off, and he seems to rely on it more, where you got to take more chances down the field. So I kind of think it's a combination of things. Um, all right. So let's, thanks for that one. Let's go to Daniel. Can you explain what the graduate assistant role usually entails other than holding up the photo cards to help call plays? I have zero clue as to what they do. Thanks and fight on. So they're basically kind of like part-time coaches, but they're basically full-time workload too. If you're a graduate assistant, you can do that for two years, which means you're going to that school. You're working on your graduate degree. You're not getting paid very much or anything. I don't know what they get paid, but it's not very much, but you're, you're a student. It's paid for working on your master's degree and you're part of the staff. You can't go out and recruit, but you can coach on the field. You can, they actually have now four graduate assistant positions. You used to only have two. There's other assistants like administrative assistants, which I believe what Lenny Vandermade was doing at the time. Cause once you're a GA for two years, you can't stick and be a graduate assistant. It's really for to get your degree. So you can only do it for two years. Um, but I think Lenny Vandermade was an administrative assistant before he was hired over to coach tight ends, and now it's part of the, the full staff. That was after Sark got fired. Helton moved on to the opening. They had one opening spot to really fill Helton's spot as an assistant coach. Um, so those guys can't go out and recruit, but they're they're basically like coaches. And then you have the other helpers like administrative assistants and things like that where they can. I think they help with meetings and all that kind of stuff, but they're not, they shouldn't be on the field doing the same kind of coaching. There's rules about where you can be and all that stuff. But they're basically assistant coaches who are working on their master's degree um, in some capacity, and they can stick around for two years in that role. And and you can have up to four of them now. Hope that helped. Uh, we got Chandler in H-Town. Based on where the national coaching carousel is settled with the coaching changes, I don't see how slash why USC fans are still upset with Clay Helton. Oh, interesting take. We are still better off than having Will Muschamp. All right, well, if you're going to compare yourself to the other USC, then... Yes, I think USC is probably better off. Till the program gets uh, level set, which Clay can do uh, with the right assistance, I don't see huge names wanting to come in and deal with the culture change and drama. Clay has to clean up years of co- coaching dysfunction within the program. That takes time, and as fans, we need to stand behind him and show support. Uh, fight on Chandler and H-Town. So I have, uh, I mean, I think it's a good attitude. Uh, you know, you want to get behind Clay Helton and support him. I'll take... Um, uh, something you said there I'm going to disagree with. Let's put it that way. Um, huge names definitely would have been interested in coming. We reported the war room that there was one, and we didn't say who, who did. And all USC had to do was wait a week. Um, what you Because USC has dysfunction at coaching for coaches um, and the athletic director, you could argue, 
That's not really a main a reason why a big-name coach wouldn't come. Now, the athletic director part could be, but no one thinks Pat Hayden's going to be sticking around for much longer anyway. And a powerful coach comes in, they can kind of direct that too. And they're, they're going to wield enough power that it won't matter about the athletic director. But you look at what USC has. There's two freshmen, uh, first-team All-Americans on the defensive side of the football. Um, I mean, tons of freshmen and sophomores. It's in the most you know recruiting fertile recruiting grounds around in Southern California. It's in the pecking order. It, USC's Alabama and the SEC, but in, in the Pac-12, there's no LSU and Auburn and Georgia and all that stuff. There's there's basically USC, and then there's some other teams like UCLA or Washington, or Oregon, Stanford, that basically if USC wants the guy, they'll probably get the guy. And it's just kind of the way it's been. That's not doesn't always happen that way, but you're talking about a pecking order. People know. I mean, they're talking about still Reggie Bush and people, athletes want to come uh, to USC. So, you know, is someone going, I, I love John Elway when he was in college and I want to go to Stanford? No. Now, maybe more with Andrew Luck, uh, you can say that. But there's not like, there's just guys at USC. You look at the all Pac-12, all century team, 24 of the 50 guys were from USC. All these guys in the Hall of Fame, all the Heisman trophies. There's a pecking order. And that's why Chandler, big name coaches want to come there. It's, te- it's, it's not like, it's like you're taking over a dysfunctional program that lost games they shouldn't. So all you have to do is come in and not screw up and you're going to do better. And I think that's what they're kind of counting on with Clay Heldon. Hey, just don't screw up and you'll probably do better than those guys. But I would argue if you brought in even a, a bigger name, a more proven coach, they could come in and compete for a championship right away. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I take, yeah, I don't think that it's true that big name coaches didn't want to come. I think you're just using that as an excuse if you're saying, uh, we, we should be behind Clay Helton. I agree with that. I think USC fans should get behind him. He was hired. I mean, give him a shot. And, you know, he's going to be subject to the same kind of criticism that everyone else was. You hope he doesn't last only 18 games like Steve Sarkeesian did. You hope he's not fired in the middle of the season like Sark and Kiffin were. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't just, if you love Clay Helton and you want to support him, that doesn't mean you should say, well, he's the only guy USC could have got because that's completely categorically false. Uh, let's go to Jim in Palm Springs. This is kind of long. All right. Ryan, doesn't matter how much pro Pat Hayden propagandist like Steve Mason berates you on his radio show for being critical of Pat Hayden's performance as the AD, as Mason did last week. Full disclosure, uh, Steve Mason came on the show this week, too, um, and talked about we, Yeah, we just disagree on that. That's his boss, so. Um, the truth is he has constantly, uh, consistently made poor decisions, put himself ahead of USC athletics and at the worst possible time this week, he decided to inject himself into USC's pregame preparation by announcing Clay Helton as a permanent head coach during a normally private team meeting on Monday, all of which just quote unquote happened to be caught on at least one camera and quickly released for public consumption. Was Pat Hayden so desperate for a feel good story about USC football that he was willing to publicly exploit the emotions of the players? over the hiring of beloved head coach, thus creating a highly emotional distraction for the players. Perhaps I'm too cynical, but the content, timing, and airing of that type of event appeared to create a huge distraction before the Pac-12 championship game. Based upon the poor start for USC in the first half of the championship game, I'd argue that it did. Needlessly so. Fans don't need to know how a USC football team is made. All they deserve to see is the end result on the field. FYI, Coach Helton is a good choice. However, Shame on you, Pat Hayden. Shame on you for trying to turn USC into a reality show, or even worse, Notre Dame. Best regards and fight on, Jim and Palm Springs. Um, no, I, 
I disagree. I mean, I don't have an issue with them putting a feel-good video and stuff up like that. I mean, that's you're seeing all the programs across the country. I mean, Notre Dame has a Showtime show that apparently I've never seen. I don't get Showtime, so I haven't seen it, but apparently it's pretty it's pretty good. The Pac-12 Network does you know behind-the-scenes shows with different programs, and uh, I think they tried to do USC and they didn't want to do it, but they have that whole video department and they they put up stuff on the blog and on you know the the website. Of stuff and stuff, something like that is great. When you see players, I have no problem with that when they're jumping around and happy for Clay Helton and stuff. But your the first part is the timing. And yeah, I think I don't know if I would go so far as to put, that Pat Hayden puts himself before the program. I mean, you could you could argue that or whatever. But I do feel like they made a decision. They wanted Helton. They needed to find the best time to make that decision go over best. And it not it maybe was not necessarily the best time for the team to get it, or the you know the best time for the preparation of the Pac-12 championship game. So maybe they put that that decision ahead of the priority of winning the Pac-12 championship game. And I, I you could argue they did, and I could see that. I could completely see that they needed to sell it. I mean, they they made the choice. They needed to sell it at a high point. It's not going to get much get much higher than after beating UCLA. You wait a week and you get smoked by Stanford. How do you hire him? And how does that go over? Not very well. So I felt they kind of shoehorned it in there because it was the stock was the highest. They had a, you know, a lot of people were are disappointed and a lot of people were upset that they did it. A lot of people were upset with the timing, but they had supporters because he had just beaten UCLA, something that Kiffin didn't do, something that um, Ed Orgeron didn't do, and something that Sark didn't do. So he had a little feather in his cap and there was something they could sell. But did it hurt their Pac-12 preparation? I actually asked Cody and Sua Cravens about this at the press conference that you guys were fighting for Clay Helton. That on Monday, he's named the head coach. So basically what you're fighting for is now over. It's like you won the war. Like that was a big deal. Is there a, some sort of drop-off after that? And, you know, neither of them said there was. And I, I didn't expect them to. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – I thought that was an issue. They they started slowing all the games, so I don't think that's you know the main distraction. But I felt it was distraction. I felt it it was going to hurt preparation. We talked about it before. Um, really, the whole week, what you you know, the first couple of days, you're talking about Clay Helton being hired. They bring out the victory bell on like Wednesday and Thursday practice, and uh, you know, as of late of Thursday, you're kind of still um, celebrating the win over UCLA, and you got Stanford. I don't think Stanford was celebrating the win over Notre Dame much longer than that night after they beat them. And then it was on to, hey, win the Pac-12 championship game. USC, the complete focus all week, you can I mean, that's true, was not on beating Stanford because there was all this other stuff going on. All right. Let's see. We got a few more. Uh, we have Harold, NorCal Trojan, uh, a fan and alum. He says, hey, Ryan, great coverage and live tweeting from the Pac-12 championship game. Thank you. I was at the game, and the environment was electric. USC was well-represented. It was disappointing but not shocking to watch another team set an offensive record on a Wilcox defense. I was hoping that they figured things out after the impressive game versus Bruins, but they dipped back into the confused pass coverage, letting McCaffrey go uncovered at key moments. Maybe Wilcox was dropping F-bombs because he thought that he would be fired at the airport. That's kind of funny. Um, with the coaching staff exercised uh, of the old UW party boys, who will Clay and Pat look to to bring some stability to the offensive line and defensive side of the ball? The kicking game could use some improvements as well. I hear chatter and wishful thinking that Trojan fans uh, about Clancy Pendergast and Coach Orgeron. 
Isn't that just reaching for an old familiar security blanket? There must be equally or more qualified candidates out there that are not on the fans' radar. Any insight? Thanks and fight on. Beat the Badgers. Harold in NorCal. Yeah, um, we heard all those F-bombs in the press. So in the, if you guys haven't heard this, me talk about this before. In the uh, press box, I was kind of on the far left side. And it was kind of, you know, a couple different rows. And I was in the first row. And through the wall right next to to us was the USC coaching box. And it's very thin walls. And you could just hear them screaming uh, at, you know, F-bombs, all kinds of stuff through the wall. And it was like you were right there. And you had everybody, probably like eight to ten media members that were kind of sitting near the wall, just all laughing every time they would start screaming. And I actually filmed, uh, you know, videotaped one where you kind of see the field, kind of see the wall, and you could hear them screaming at the play um, just to put it out there, just to give people a sense of what was going on in the press box. It was really weird. Um, I don't think it was about him thinking that he was going to get fired. I think they scream a lot. And this just happened to be the walls aren't very good, and, and you happen to be next to the press, so they were, they all could hear what you were saying. I mean, we really could hear, like, calls they were making. They would go, like, five, 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 and I would see the coach on the field holding up five fingers. So that's not good. That's not a good design. The, like, media should not be hearing what the coaches are doing in their own press box. But we were, and there was lots of swearing, and it was just hard not to laugh because it just was kind of going on all the time. As far as the um, assistant coaches, yeah, look, uh, we put a bunch of stuff in the war room. And, uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with get someone outside. Like, don't go back to the name, you know, unless it's like an absolute perfect fit. But a lot of fans just want to like, I've heard that guy before. He was a defensive coordinator for one year. I love them. I know who he is where there's other guys that you don't, maybe you don't know who they are, um, that are better. So I I'm, I'm with you. And I think, you know, we put stuff in the war room. We'll put more on Friday too. Just some of the names and stuff are out there. We'll, we'll keep talking about those, but yeah, I, my general philosophy would be they should have gone outside for the head coach, um, but not not having done that, go outside for a big defensive coordinator, for an offensive coordinator, things like that. The offensive coordinator, if you bring in a big like line coach who's going to pair up with one of the current coaches, I'm fine with that. Um, but I think at least on the defensive side of the ball, someone coming in that's outside, that knows nothing about USC, that just comes in and goes, look at all these dudes. Yeah, we can do something with that. That's what I think you should do. All right, two more. John Patina. Imagine this is probably, I'm, I'm sorry, imagining this is probably the only email you'll be getting this week since not much is going on with USC football. Yeah, lots of emails. During the game, uh, I was really questioning the making of Coach Helton permanent, uh, so making him the permanent head coach, but he edged me back towards in favor with uh, with some of the staff moves. As I watched the Trojans, they really don't look very well coached nor prepared for the most part. My hope and question to you, uh, what are the odds of them getting someone from the NFL with an NFL background as their offensive coordinator? I really don't like the drop back passing game anymore. They don't appear to be, to me, to have any timing type of throws. They don't have any quicks anymore. I do think they need a solid running game, but they need to be able to do it with a pocket passing game because right now with third and eight, I have no confidence in them getting a first down. Your thoughts, John Patina. I'm more of a, you know, kind of stick it to keep it with college, but they're going to be more of a, it's going to look more like Alabama and Stanford than, you know, TCU or Baylor. You're going to have more of those kind of coaches in the NFL. Um, so I, my gut is they're probably bringing someone college level. 
uh, but just that has more of a you know run first power kind of mentality. But I mean, you're right. I mean, you have to you have to get you have to be able to complete passes on third and eight and not dump it off. And you know, this isn't Navy. You're not running a triple option. You you throw the ball down the field on third and eight. And I just haven't seen the confidence in USC to do that in the last half of the season, really, with Clay Helton as the offensive coordinator. So I think that has to change. USC's a team that, you know, they produce quarterbacks. And you can argue how good or bad, but they have quarterbacks in the NFL still. They're still making paychecks. They're not the greatest quarterbacks in the world, but they're there. I mean, and you guys come to USC to play quarterback, and they throw the football down the field. And Cody Kessler had 39 touchdowns and five picks last year and was nowhere close to that this year. So I think that's kind of got to change. Is it Max Brown? Um, is it Sam Darnold or someone else? I mean, I, I think you have to change that. All right, let's go, Steve. Virginia, question for the Peristyle Podcast. I've read that Sua Craven said he would return to USC if he was not projected to go in the first round of the NFL draft. Now he's saying he's going to announce his decision Wednesday, December 16th. Won't this date be before the feedback from the NFL comes back? What do you make of this? Thanks, uh, Stephen, Virginia. Yeah, no, I, I, I believe that's the, the case here. Um, that I don't know the exact date when they're supposed to get it back, but I don't think it's going to be back by then. So I think he's already made his decision. He's just going to announce it then. My gut has always been he's going to leave. Um, you know, maybe he changes. I think if you talk to, and I've said this a few times, if you talk to, uh, some of the NFL scouts, which I've done, you know, he's a tweener. Um, it might, it, they might say, you know, come back to college, play safety for a year, and it'll help your draft stock. I think that could very well be true. But the other aspect is a lot of guys are combine guys. They're put up a whole bunch of numbers, they jump or run or whatever it is. He's a film guy. He's a guy that has a ton of film. On a defense where you don't have a lot of individuals making plays, he's the individual making plays. So He's tackling guys for loss. He's breaking passes up. He's doing all those things. All of that is on film. So I think if you need to, you know, worry about whatever draft stock or, well, he didn't play this or he didn't play that, look at his film and you see where he's played all over the field. So I think even though he's not going to get a draft, I mean, if, if he's talked to people, he's got to get an evaluation yet. If he's talked to people and it's like, you got plenty of film, you're fine. You're going to go in the first or second round or whatever it is, then move on. And I kind of get the feeling that that's, the direction this is going to go, um, just kind of d- delay it a little bit to, you know, get away from the whole Clay Helton announcement thing. He loves Clay Helton. He w- you know, would love to play for him. But my gut feeling is he moves on um, to the NFL. All right. Well, lots of great questions. Hope you guys enjoyed this solo Peristyle podcast. My voice is about done. So um, hopefully answered all the all the questions that you wanted. You can always send them in podcast at uscfootball.com. Remember, keep them short. So I don't have to keep reading all these things and uh, lose, <laughs> lose my voice. But I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, it's been a fun week. It's been a crazy week. Hopefully things kind of slow down. We do not know the bowl practice schedule as of now. We're going to hear from that soon. I'm not hearing there's going to be practices next week. There might be. We just don't know. Uh, but, you know, USC coaches will be out on the road recruiting. So we'll have more on all of that, uscfootball.com. Of course, uh, official visitors, uh, you know, visitors coming this weekend to USC. We'll have a bunch of information on that in the War Room on Friday. So thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. 
Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 